Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, Mike and I are joined today by Paul Flannery, who's joined us a few times. Paul's been following uh, basketball closer than Mike and I, so it's always great. Well, maybe not Mike and I, just me. Um, so it's always good to get his opinion on things that happened, like last night's Game 7 between the Warriors uh, and Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm so conflicted that I'm almost having trouble with this introduction, so I want to kick it right over to you, Paul. You were uh, talking before we even started the pod. I think the best place to start is, was last night's game the culmination of an Oklahoma City choke job or the Golden State Warriors just this great, and it was what was to be expected? I think it was a little bit of both, but I think... So here's, here's the thing. I think there's a generational thing going on here where um, especially younger writers are, are more hesitant to, to throw out the choke label. And, um, I mean, look, you're up three to one, you're at home, you're up three, two, you have a chance to close it out at home and you have a big lead in the fourth quarter and you don't win. That's not good. That's not good. Now, you know, we can, we can label it something nicer, um, than a choke. Cause that, like choke to me connotates that the moment was too big for, for the people involved. And I don't believe that applies necessarily in pro sports, but I do believe that they had a chance to close it out. They were at home, and they they messed it up. They screwed up, and they lost. And they're gonna have to live with that. And that's that's the other thing too, guys. Like you have to now live with that hanging over your heads until you either win a champ until you win a championship. Basically, that is yeah. that is huge an anvil over your heads. When they lost in whatever it was twenty twelve to 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 Miami. Nobody thought they no you know they we thought they they got as far as they needed to get. This was different, but yet they lost to a seventy three win team. They lost to a better team. I'm not denying that. Right. So then, <laughs> I mean, in 2012, they lost to a better team retroactively as well. I mean, what's the difference? The difference is that you were up three to one. Uh, you, yeah. had a, you, you had a, you had a chance to close it. You you blew them out in two straight games. Like yeah. this is it. You gotta you you have to do this. There is, there, there is no, you know, and, and this is, this is pro sports. It's what makes it great. There's, there's a winner. There's a loser. You have to do this when you have that opportunity because these opportunities do not come along all the time. Yeah. I'm, 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 just, real quick, I'm glad you mentioned the Miami uh, series, though, because I think at that point when they lost, we did think that this opportunity was going to come more often to them. Like exactly. there were going to be multiple finals runs. This felt so much more finite. This felt like. You're up 3-1. This is their opportunity. The entire world, the entire NBA world had kind of fixated on what we'd been looking at but not really understanding, which was this Oklahoma City Thunder team, the, the Russell and, and Durant like friendship evolving and the, the teamwork evolving to this point where they were up 3-1 in the series. But the culmination just never happened. And it feels like that was almost like falling off the face of Everest. Like they made it to that summit almost, but they couldn't actually get to the, the completion, which is making it down alive, and they lost. Well, here, here, here's, the, here's the flip upside Ben and so let's say let's say OKC wins that series in six let's say they yep. close out game six how are we talking about Golden State today that their season was a success I don't yeah. think it would have been I don't uh, think it would have been a failure I don't think it would have been a disaster but like your goal is to win the championship you don't win it it's it's hard to, for me to call it a success and yeah, it only applies I, to like three teams I agree with that it was not a success and this was a failure in outcome I just 
I just wonder if we talk – the more we talk about Oklahoma City, the more we downplay that. The Warriors really <laughs> took, stepped this up to another gear, and some of the shots they hit, I mean, there's not much you can do about that. Both yeah. things can be true, though, Mike. Like, both I, things can be true. The Warriors can play out of their heads, which they did, and OKC can blow it, which they did. Yeah, I it mean, really it, is such a combination. Of it. Even just when you watch the, the tide turn last night, when both games that Oklahoma City lost of the last two, they had double-digit leads, right, 10 or plus points. And to, to watch the that small portion of the game, and they hit it on the head. Barkley and, and Kenny Smith at halftime last night, I'm not sure if you guys were watching the halftime or, or what you were doing, but uh, they hit it on the head. There is p- these singular possessions where the game could go from 15 to 17 or 18 or a bad shot and all of a sudden it's a 12-point game and, and just that swing. And they each, uh, every time it had basically come to a Westbrook forced shot uh, that went against the flow of what had gotten them to that lead, which was teamwork, et cetera, um, and so these little gap moments that they these last two games could have gotten bigger into the, the realm where Oklahoma City ends up winning one of them, but instead it went right into that realm where two threes in a row and it's tied, which is just so easy for Golden State. It's right. just they play at a different type of scoring because it's easy for them to take nine points off in thirty seconds. Right. Well, so all right, let's we can all agree that to some degree this was a shortcoming by Oklahoma City to yes. have lost this. I mean, I'm not disputing that they were yes. up. 3-1. How do you weigh this, though, in terms of Golden State's uh, success and Oklahoma City's failure? To me, it's got to tilt a lot more to Golden State's success. When you look at some of the shots they hit, you look at some of the defense they played, you look at how they were able to get the tiniest of openings against what was such an airtight scheme that I don't think really changed that much from games 5, 6, and 7 to 2, 3, and 4, and 1. I, I don't think that really changed. You know, if you're assigning the line share of, the, of kind of the credit or blame, I think it's got to go way to the Golden State side. Well, I think I think that I don't think that's incorrect um, at all. And yeah, I mean, look, Steph and Clay were flipping up crazy shots. Most Bates went crazy in Game Five. Like that stretch that the bench played in Game Five, that everybody was killing Steve Kerr for playing his four reserves and, and none of his three stars. Those guys carried them through to win game, that game. Game Seven too. Game yep. seven, too. Yep. And, uh, like, Verjao, who, you know, has been com- left for dead, all of a sudden just thrown behind the back passes. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> Yo, he, his, that one move he made, the like the crossover Euro step in the lane, no look, oh and then finger roll. God. He also he, just, he had to have walked, right? Like, to. I didn't see a replay, but yeah, there's no way he didn't walk. But, like, all right, so all those things, yeah, I, I think, yes, the, 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 the scales tip toward the Warriors won rather than the Thunder lost. I totally agree with that. And the home advantage. They both both are so good at home that that last game at home, I I think, obviously, it made some difference. But Golden State just feeds that same confidence, which misses a couple shots for those other bench players we're talking about. It helps it go in at home more often than not. And you can see it. That's the Hubie Hubie Brown corollary. Your your five through eight will play better on the road, which is probably – I I don't don't even want to know if it's not true. I just want to believe it. (laughs) So, all right, now how do I process this sequence, right? I've been thinking about this sequence in the third quarter of last night's game for a while. There's about nine and a half minutes left. The Thunder are up eight, right? And it looks like they're starting to pull away. They have this great possession and this great play. Ibaka pops wide open for a corner three. It's like – it's everything that we say the Thunder didn't, don't do uh, offensively, they did. That would have given them an 11-point lead. He misses. They get the rebound. It works around. They run a great pick and roll. Adams has a, I guess, a six-foot floater. He's been hitting all game. 
turns in and out. Next play, the, the Warriors stop the Thunder's play, but then Steph gets a ball against Ibaka. He's 30 feet from the hoop. He's not even squared up. He kind of like throws a little lob chest pass into the basket. Suddenly that's, what, a, a six-point swing? I mean, how do I process that? Is that Thunder failure? Is that Warriors success? Like, how do I, I have trouble looking at a sequence like that and saying, wow, the Thunder really blew it. I mean, I guess they missed the shots, so Eesh. at the bottom line, they blew it in that sense. But it's hard for me to look at that sequence and say that they were outplayed or well, that their play wasn't good enough. I mean, a lot, real quick, I, I just think that when you look at the numbers last night, Mike, a, a very important facet of the game was the confidence that they had uh, Donovan and, and Russ and Katie had instilled in the bench players like a waiters or a guy like Ro- Robertson, Roberson, whoever we're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, these guys, they combined last night. Waiters was two for nine. Robertson was two for 11. That's 20 shots from Robertson and Waiters. 20. Well, a lot That's, of those were putbacks by Robertson, to some, be fair. Some were. Some were threes. I mean, uh, Waiters was 0 for 5 from 3. Robertson was 0 for 4. That's nine three-pointers from those two. I don't think those are winning equations uh, just from a, a number standpoint, but it was also, on the, the flip side, what kind of got them there. I mean, P- Paul, when you're watching last night's game, are you thinking Westbrook's playing erratically, Durant needs to take more shots, or, or how are you processing the Thunder's approach last night as, as the, you know, the game really turned in the second half? Yeah, I felt I felt the whole game was very familiar. Um, having experienced a number of game sevens in my life, and that is the the road team comes out, they play better than you think. You think they're dead, right? And they and they play better than you think, mm-hmm. and they get a lead, and then it starts to turn, and then you know we see what happens. I thought they got tired. Um, I thought Kerr did a better job managing his bench and saving a minute here, a minute there. Um, even Durant and Westbrook get tired. I was surprised without having gone back and really studied the tape at how little Durant was involved for long stretches of the game, considering he was the only guy making shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they got away from things that would work. Um, Westbrook, I always have a hard time judging his play because it's so unique. I, I, I really have a hard time with it. But I mean, it was also like, look, like Robertson probably shot what you expected him to shoot. But he made a bunch early and missed a bunch late, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yep. So it's math. Like eventually, it just becomes math. Um, you know, totally. and, which and, is why know, Curry and Clay hit their shots, right? And you needed, you know, and like a, what they needed was a guy like Dion Waiters to make a couple of shots. And he made a couple, but he didn't make enough. Or Robertson to make a couple of shots. But you know, it's. I thought that when it turned, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty much done. Because I just I didn't think you know Golden State was going to give that up. Yeah. Well, the Thunder missed a lot of chances, Agreed. a lot of bunnies around the rim. I think some of that was the Warriors flying around, and some of that was misses. And this is where again it just becomes tough for me. We hear all the time it's a make or miss league, but it is you have to make it, and you have to you know that that's how it works. But I have it's just tough for me when. I guess I feel sympathy for Oklahoma City playing against a team like the Warriors that just tires you out on every play. You have to make about 20 decisions on every defensive possession. And if you get one a little bit wrong, they beat you. And then if you do it all right, they may cross you up and hit a three in your face anyway. And then you have to go back down and run good offense, which for I know for the Thunder is hard, but it's even harder when you're tired mentally and physically. And they're getting rebounds and they're flying around. You know, it's just hard for me to see that. I know – I know we all agree that the Warriors sort of won this and, you know, it's a little unfair to say the Thunder choked it away. I just, I think that 
there it's fine to acknowledge that they played as well as they possibly could and it just wasn't quite enough and i don't for some people i'm not saying for any of y'all but i think for some people that is seen as letting the thunder off the hook and i guess i just don't understand that well well i don't want to let them off off the hook so to say but i agree they missed some easy shots westbrook missed some easy shots but he also had some incredibly bad there were the a sequence of left-handed takes where he just took off from far too too far out and and just kind of let the ball ricochet off the backboard i guess in hopes of a rebound down low or something i don't know but they were erratic shots and those types of misses consistently were leading to the other end where then <clears throat> where they were able to get curry matched up you know via the switches with abaca it felt like abaca who had one incredible defensive play uh, towards the end of one of the, one of the quarters or halves uh, third quarter maybe on on curry right before mm-hmm. curry made the amazing shot uh, one of the most incredible shots i think i've ever seen uh, even by his standards, uh, the, the floating lefty, uh, as time expired. But anyhow, Ibaka did do a great job on that particular play before that, blocked his shot going to the right. But if you're going to consistently leave Ibaka out there on an island with Curry, he's going to figure out the part of the court he feels like shooting from and eventually get his shot from there. What and choice do you have if you're well, that, the Thunder? I mean, well, that's, that's what the I'm saying. saying. Agree, I agree. Other than you got to just try to play a slightly more stuck to in your face type of man to man you got to say maybe this consistent switching at this point in the game is leading to this matchup that's definitely advantageous for the warriors and they exploited it consistently to you know to Kerr's credit they got clay the threes he was looking to get even though they're tough shots they're the shots he hits and curry the matchups he was looking for um you know, I'm not really sure what the Thunder could have done more in this series other than maybe to twink, you know tinker with that because you're right they they may have played their best and been um, been beaten by a historically great team Here's where I come down on these things, guys. So, did a team lose because because either they were physically outmatched or you know, was it was it physical errors, if you will, physical mistakes, or was it mental? Mm -hmm. And I don't think we know fully how mental it was, right? And I don't mean like guys, you know, shrinking. I mean, as you were just saying, like were there were there were there mistakes made in terms of scheme? Did people go the wrong direction? Did this that did this that or the other thing happen? that you know con- conspired to make them not win these games. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a part that's very difficult to get unless you're really 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 up close to a team. Um you know f- I, I think that it, this was a a loss of physical error, probably physical exhaustion in some ways, physical fatigue, all those kinds of stuff. And look, the Warriors played phenomenal, especially uh Curry and Klay Thompson. Like their entire offense was Throw up crazy stuff and see if it goes in. And more often than not, it did, which is just which is what makes them so unique and what makes them so special. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, the only thing I want to say is I don't think we can let the Thunder off the hook by saying they played as well as they could because I don't think that's necessarily true. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. I, I think game six in particular, you just see how their predictability late in games just costs them. You know, you exactly. I think that that's a fair critique. I don't know if that's a serious critique, though. That seems to me like a critique that they have never solved for years. And they, this maybe is the catalyst. And they're going to have some built-in disadvantages because they've decided that they want to build a big team, an athletic team that beats you on the glass, and you're going to sacrifice some skill on the perimeter to make that happen. And so now I think this is maybe the wake-up call for Kevin and Russ – to maybe be a little quicker in their sets. I think they were just too slow getting into stuff because, look, they're going to be an ISO team. There's nothing they can do about that. But they, 
they get to the point where it's late in the clock and they're predictable. That I think is a problem. I guess I guess I would just classify that as sort of a problem that has developed over the course of a season. And in this matchup, it just so happened to bite them. But I guess you could also say that you know pointing that out in effect is not letting them off the hook. That's I think where they lost the series more than on defense, where they did I think everything they could have. But is it fair to say that as this team is put together right now, they could win the title? I mean, they they beat the Spurs and then almost probably should have beaten the Warriors. Um, so oh, it feels yeah. like this team has comprised can win the title next season. Well, sure. well Kevin Durant's going to stay stick around and be a part of this. That's pretty safe to assume they made it far enough, right? Right, Mike and, and Paul. You guys feel like Kevin's going to stick stick around in Oklahoma City for at least one more. Oh, week, right? hold on, hold on, hold I just on. Wanna... Hold, hold on. Okay, so <laughs> let's. I've learned this over the years. Everyone, anyone who went through LeBron, <laughs> you cannot assume anything in free agency. You of just course. can't. And the stuff that we think we know and the stuff that we hear and the stuff that we feel like we know, none of that is as important as whatever is going on between Kevin and his inner circle and the Kevin, the people he talks to and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I am nowhere near Kevin Durant's inner circle. So I, you know, speculation speculation is hard. (laughs) I understand. Going into the playoffs, I had heard, you know, league scuttlebutt, league people talking was that he was definitely going to look around. Hmm. I feel like when you lose a series like you just lost, and this is what I'm getting at, there are scars, and it causes you to reassess just about everything. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to leave. I think I think you know it's been pretty. A lot of us feel that the best play is to do a one and one deal, where you can opt out again after a couple of years and make huge, ridiculous, obscene amount of money, which is really, really smart and probably smart in a basketball sense and a financial sense. I think that makes a ton of sense. But I do not assume that Kevin Durant is coming back until he is coming back. I I would say we can certainly say that if he comes back, they will be a very good team again. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yes, I think this is a championship-worthy team as constructed. I'd like a little more shooting here and there. Yeah. Like everyone else, basically. Should, should Morrow have played? Team. Who? Morrow? Should, ah. should he have gotten in last night a little bit once the other guys were, were drawing blanks? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think their problems are more structural than... Yeah. They, they, you can't throw him in there and have him hang defensively, especially in that game. You know, For he sure. just couldn't have done it. And... You know they'll have to they'll have to find somebody, uh, or they'll just have to have internal improvement. I mean, every team's got a little bit of a weakness. You can't build the perfect team. Not even the Warriors are the perfect team. I mean, there are ways you can attack them. The Thunder proved that this series. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a matter of mitigating the weaknesses. And you know, look, that's where I would go back to Kevin and Russ. If assuming if Kevin stays. I would say that the number one thing they've got to figure out is knowing, look, this is their style. What little things can we do to juice up our crunch time offense, offense a little bit to put us over the top? Yep, I agree with that. And I also think, I, I, look, nobody can play the level of defense they played for 82 games. I just don't think it's possible. Um, but I think they can be better defensively during the course of the season because you build good habits during the year by doing that kind of stuff. You build good habits and then it becomes second nature and you win more games and then you are not, you know, then you get home court advantage and all those things help. All those things matter. Um, I did not like the way they approached this season. 
Um, I thought like that it was, you know, I didn't think they'd earned the right to flip the switch, although clearly they are capable of, and probably in a way that I did not expect. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think, I think the seeds are there and, you know, and also, I mean, you talked about internal improvement, Mike, I mean, like campaign showed a lot during the regular season and Mitch McGarry, I have long been waiting for him to, to, to get it together and, and to be a contributor. Like they got a lot of talent and it's young talent. Yeah. And I don't Adam, like that, did they play a single player under the age of twenty over the age of twenty eight in Game Seven? I'm not sure. I guess like Foy didn't play, right? So yeah. probably not. Yeah, I mean, look, Adams is going to continue to get better, and oh, like Mike, you and I are great. T- he's awesome, right? I mean, God, his his development in the last eighty five days has been amazing. Just, he, he's great, but I think the the Warriors finally broke him in the last couple games of the series. I also would. I wonder how badly beaten down his right arm and hand and thumb are. I mean, he could be yeah. like guy gets surgery in two days type player. That's I mean, fair. You know, That's um, fair. Um, but the other thing too is, and like we were texting about this last night, you seem to think that Ibaka is one of the most underappreciated players in the league. I thought he was phenomenal in this series. I think they could get more from him. That's an internal improvement. Ask him to get you twenty a game, a legit twenty a game, because he could easily do it in the context of the offense too, especially with his newfound three point range, which seems very comfortable for him. Twenty a game seems like a bit much. I just, I just think that the things that he he, he had a rough year. I don't think it was his best year. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite sure why he had a rough year. I mean, there's a lot that to unpack there. But I just think that you look at why did why did Adams emerge? Why did Andre Roberson become playable? You just kind of can move Ibaka along the chessboard. He's sort of the guy that uh, he's sort of the guy that can take it. You, you can mm-hmm. you can coach him a lot, like you know what. Horace Grant used to be for those Bulls. I feel like Ibaka kind of is for the Thunder. He's the guy that you can put in difficult positions and can sacrifice and can take it. Uh, so it makes it easier for your other players. But no, they do have to get more out of him. They have to get more out of all their supporting players. And I think that may come down to Kevin and Russ if you know if Kevin stays. They've got to figure out little things they can do to make things a little better. Yep. Because they're close, they're close, and that uh, it leads us to the finals. Though I think we should give this this podcast a little bit of of Cavs love and and really actually talk about the Warriors because we just spent some serious time on the team that lost the Western Conference Finals, and I feel like this is an interesting matchup because at the end of last year's finals, this felt like the matchup that was going to happen this year. The road that got us here has been a little bit different in the West, but all all that's uh, said and done. The Warriors are still the favorite to win the championship here, right, Paul? I should expect, in my my opinion, I think they're going to win this series, and I could be totally off my base. I think they win in five. I think this is just a weird matchup, and no one has watched the Cavs really have to be pushed to play another team's type of basketball yet in the playoffs, and that's what happens when these two teams play. Five is the bold call. Okay. Five, five is the call that um, you're very confident in that call. Um, I might push it to six just because the Warriors have shown a tendency to get cute when they have the advantage. Uh-huh. Um, you saw it last year when they got up uh, game one. They won game one in overtime. Kyrie got hurt. And then like some of the some of the some of the longtime warrior scribes were like the most predictable thing in the world was them losing game two. <laughs> so I feel like like they might have one of those in them at a certain point, which is kind of crazy, but they might. Um, yeah, and I think so a couple of things here, a lot of things here. Um <laughs> I like this matchup way better than I did last year's matchup because Cleveland has now unlocked itself as this offensive juggernaut. Then they are not the defensive grinded out team they were last year, which was injury related. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to see that Channing Fry lineup go head to head with the Warriors, you know, death lineup. And we might get a 135, 140 point game here at some point. Like, 
That'd be um, awesome. It would be awesome. It'd be a lot of fun to watch. But I just don't know that Cleveland can ramp up the kind of defense that Golden State can play. And that, to me, is was always my thought. Even you know, I was with them earlier in the playoffs in the in the, in the East. And I just don't know that they are capable. The personnel is capable of doing that, which I think they're going to have to do if they're going to win this series. It's, it's bright light syndrome. I, I need to see Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving give me huge games on the road. One, one of these guys needs to, not even both of them, one of them needs to give me. I think we've seen Kyrie do that. Yeah, and, and to a lesser extent, Love, and like uh, in the last game uh, in Toronto, they both had nice games. But I, I mean, like, a, I need a signature moment or, or like, a, it's not too big for me. Uh, full game because I don't get that from Love and I don't get that from Kyrie all the time. Obviously, Kyrie's playoffs were cut short and so were Love's last last season. Um, but I think that's the difference, right? Is that I have a good expectation of what we're going to get in the biggest moments from Golden State. Now they've played in them and I've seen it. You know, how, I've seen how the outcome uh, you know turns out. I, I don't see that in my head yet from the Cavs, and that's kind of where I have the series turning. Is that Love and Kyrie won't necessarily be the same type of impact players offensively because defensively they're going to be so stretched out against this Warriors team, and every single time they've matched up. And Mike, this is where I'd love for you to chime in because you know these matchups like the back of your hand. It always just seems to tip in such favor for for the Warriors in those pivotal power forward point guard matchups. Yeah, I think defensively this is going to be a problem for the Cavs because the Warriors in games 5 through 7 of the Thunder series, what they did is, you know, the Thunder really don't have a lot of weak spots defensively, but they found Russell Westbrook's a little jumpy, and Steven Adams, of all their bigs, as good as he is, could, if Curry is in, in the right mode, he's not an automatic switch-and-stop perimeter guy. And they took those two little weaknesses and they blew them up. They ran all this screening action for involving Russ and Adams. And you notice in the late in these, these stages of these games, they got some of their easiest buckets, particularly in game six for Clay, with Adams as the big man screener. And Adams is a great defender, but he that one little weakness compared to everybody else, that was what they picked and picked at. Now imagine them doing the same thing to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, <laughs> and you see the problem that the Cavs have. Yes, I think you just you just you know, and I think they take I think they take particular delight in just tormenting Kevin Love too. Totally. Um, you know, maybe it's because of you know all the trade rumors from a couple years ago or whatever. But I think Draymond especially just loves doing that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Kevin Love to to be better. And it, he's in a weird spot because he's definitely the third option, even though he's been getting more touches and being more involved and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, but he doesn't have like a third option game. He has a he has a he has a number two game or a number one game. He does yeah. not have a he does like Abaka has a third option game, right? Yep. Clay Thompson in a very strange way has a third option game. Draymond has a third option game. Like Cle- Kevin Love to this point has not shown a third option game. Like it's either good or it's bad. But like we need. We need a consistently good effort out of Kevin Love throughout this series. He's he to me is the guy that I am I am paying attention to the most. He feels like the biggest X factor. I mean, it felt last series like they were still tampering with things, like feeding him the ball excessively to get him comfortable. And like if you're doing that in the Eastern Conference Finals, first off, you know the type of matchup you're in that you can you can do that, test stuff out. So that shows how scared they were. But they really were still trying to get his confidence built up. And I feel like that's really late into the season uh, and down the road to be trying to get Kevin Love on board mentally. And maybe he's there, maybe he's not there. Maybe he's in the offensive groove, maybe he's not. But that's exactly what you're saying, is that it's on or it's off. And I feel like if that consistency is definitely going to be key to this series, because they're going 
going to exploit him defensively. If he can't be a plus offensively, he shouldn't be playing. Well, that's the thing. What does he have to do to play mm-hmm. in this series is the ultimate question. I think in other series, he's had you know moments where he's posted up smaller defenders. Don't know if he can do that in this series. Maybe if they are able to kind of take advantage of some switches, maybe they get Iguodala green switches. But I think in that situation, LeBron's going to go to work. So mm. that's going to be a way to get him going. The other way, and this is the one thing that Cleveland can do that I think may hurt Golden State, is that the Warriors really stopped the Thunder's stars by just loading up. They had so many bodies in the paint. They didn't have to worry about Robertson. You know, he, he beat them a couple times for cuts and offensive boards, but were not enough to really scare them. They could load up off Steven Adams. They even loaded up off Ibaka because Ibaka's shooting release is so slow, so they can recover. The Cavs, you can't load up off anyone that easily with the way they're playing. That may make the Warriors' life difficult, and I'm not sure if – you know, does that mean that they're going to just switch away a lot? And if that's the case, maybe that's a place where love can eat. Yep, yep. And I mean, guys like J.R. Smith, guys like Channing Fry, guys that can just knock down shots and knock down shots and knock down shots. Um, you know, like Mike was saying, that's not that's not Robertson out there. That if that's J.R. Smith, you have a problem. You can't leave him that wide open. But let me introduce one other X factor, which is kind of off the uh, off the beaten track here. Draymond. Yeah. He's getting very, 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 very close to triggering automatic suspensions. Yeah. Yes, and your dog agrees. Yes, tell tell me quiet. Keep it down, girl. Her dog walker's here, guys. Sorry about that. Let it go, Sal. Is she a Thunder fan that's mad about the Game 4 suspension? Hold on, guys. I'm going to let the dog out. Just one sec. We'll we'll edit this part. No, no, I want to leave this in. Yeah, we're leaving this in. We're leaving this in. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's actually a metaphor for the dog that Draymond has in him. Yes, that comes out the wrong way. <laughs> that's what this is. No, but I think that's something to keep an eye on because I think there, you know, that is a there's potential there for disaster. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the one thing with the Oklahoma City series is that he sort of went out of his lane a little bit in a couple games. The one event, the one event. She'll be done barking in a sec, guys. Sorry. No, 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 no. I want to hear. I want to hear the barking. This is like <laughs> a great. This is like a great track over our discussion. <sighs> uh, the one reason I'm maybe a little. I think this might be a little better for Green. Is that I mean the Thunder are just so big and it just they pound him and they pound him. The Cavs don't just have that physical overwhelmingness, and I think they're without knowing how these guys really operate headwise. I just think in general. When you're physically drained, you get you make mental mistakes just out of physical exhaustion. I don't know if that'll happen as much in this series. Right. No, I'm with that. And you know, the other thing we have not talked about at all is LeBron. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about LeBron <laughs> at all. Which and it's it's interesting because whenever I talk about this series, which you know I have been doing over the last few hours with people, um, like it feels like it's we're waiting way too long to talk about LeBron. And he's really good, and he's playing out of his mind right now. But uh, it, that's because, it, I mean, you're totally right, but isn't that sort of the same way like we really haven't mentioned Curry other than the fact that Kyrie's defense is going to be, uh, you know, put a spotlight upon? I feel like it's like these are the givens, right? Those two are going to play at such an incredible level in this series. And if they don't, one of their teams will lose. They're, they know that's kind of the tipping point for each team, right? And then everything well, else we talked about folds underneath of it. Yeah, I but agree. LeBron can turn it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, Mike. No, Maybe. no, I think we're going to say the same thing. LeBron can turn anything around. 
Like he is to, to me, he is. I think Steph Curry was the unanimous MVP with no problem. LeBron yeah. is still the biggest force of nature in the league. Hmm. Well, it's also you can move him along the chessboard a lot differently in this series. It's no longer he's the only guy that can score, and he can only score in one way to set the tempo that we need to play. Now he's, you know, you put him in that, like, what I think might be a problem for the Warriors is when the Cavs go to that LeBron plus bench lineup at the beginning of the second quarter, does Steve Kerr still play his reserves? Because that's a tough lineup to match up with. Suddenly LeBron is the screener. I mean, that's a dimension they didn't have to worry about last finals. And that's, I think, that it's going to be tough for them to figure out how to guard that. And if there is one of those games where Kyrie has those 8 to 10 points that are just like, what is he doing and how do you stop that? (laughs) It just opens LeBron to do more things and play more positions and operate. Like you've used the analogy, Ben, as the queen of the chessboard. And Mm -hmm. he couldn't do that last year. He had to be all the pieces. Yeah. Now he only can focus on being the queen. I I think that's a dynamic worth discussing if that's going to be enough. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very interested to see, first off, who they run at LeBron. Do you want LeBron to try to play? He's been playing from the paint outward, um, you know, so far, and it feels like this is going to be such a more perimeter-oriented series. Um, I'm interested to see who, who you guys think the best matchup for the Warriors is. Or you know, Obviously, it's going to be a rotation on him, but who should be the principal person guarding him? Um, because that's always kind of one of the things I, I have a hard time conceptualizing in this particular matchup. You don't want Draymond to play small, but you don't want Clay to get bullied, and you don't want to have Iguodala play necessarily too many minutes right now. I feel like Iggy's going to play a lot, a lot more in this series than even he did uh, in the last series where he was a key in the final two games. Um, but I'm interested to see who, who you guys think the best matchup for the Warriors is uh, on LeBron. What's the best way to mitigate uh, you know, what he does? Iguodala won. I, mm-hmm. I think you have to play Barnes there a little bit. Mm. Just uh, You have to. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, then, and then Draymond in special cases. Okay. I wonder. I wonder if the Warriors try to ape what the Raptors did at times in the, the conference finals and they'd have like a primary LeBron defender, and then they just throw their center on him when he started to post up. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if they'll do that with Iguodala and Green. Yep. Yeah, I feel like Draymond's just primed for this matchup. I, I see a lack of physicality, or at least guys who want to get down there and get dirty with him. There was plenty of that with the Thunder, with Adams um, you know, and Ibaka, but I don't, I don't necessarily see that as much with Cleveland. So I like that Draymond as an X-factor. I also like the X-factor of that next technical. Um, I was wondering if either of you thought he should have uh, gotten that other technical already, because it felt like a few different times that last series, the last three games, he should have been teed up for something. Well, it's a flagrant, right? It's not a technical. <laughs> well, it's, it's any point, right? It's the point no, system it's, on it's this? It's all, all flagrants, I believe. Okay. I mean, it felt like there were a couple instances or whatever. He had to take down uh, the DDT last night where he dropped Adams <laughs> on his own head, which was a good one. Um, which I thought was one of the more memorable, like, he yeah, Dr- re- realized Dr- it. Draymond's on the edge, and he's oh. been on the edge, um, I feel like, a lot more this year than, than in years past. And, um, you know, all it takes is the wrong ref at the wrong time it's or the true. wrong play at the wrong time or the wrong, um, you know, interpretation of the wrong yep. play at the wrong time, but he can't change it, right? He's yeah. got to be him because if he's passive, then he's not Draymond anymore. So he's, he's, he's really walking on the fault line here. That's why I wouldn't put him on LeBron. I just think uh-huh. that that would throw too much of a challenge at him. I think he's better as a weak side defender and rebounder. And I just, I think all the bang with, again, the less banging you can induce with green, the more he can kind of use his athleticism the less likely it is that, you know, mentally he might lose it. I mean, for lack of a better word, I know mm. I don't like 
putting it that way, but I mean that's why I would just stick I'd stick him on the help defender. You're going to need him too to box out Tristan Thompson. I mean that he's going to be he didn't play a big role in the Toronto series. He's going to play a huge role in this series with the way he can guard Curry on switches and get offensive rebounds. You're going to need Green for that role. Do you, do you have a prediction, Mike, for the series? I mean, Paul and I have already kind of stated where we, we stand. Do you, do you have a prediction? Uh, you know, i got to look at it a little closer, but I think there's a chance this goes the distance. Like, I think huh. there's there might be a game where Cleveland just shoots the lights out, especially at home. I mean, Cleveland has got a big-time home court advantage. I know the Warriors kicked their butts in Cleveland in January, but these two teams are in a very different place. I mean, that Ty Lue is, you know, instilled something that David Blatt didn't. The Cavs were still playing Mozgov then. They didn't have Fry. I don't think they either regular season game is that instructive. I'm, I'm not ready to say that Ty Lue's done anything that Blatt didn't do yet. If he wins this series, then he'll have done more than Blatt did. Blatt won two games in the finals last year with a much more depleted team um, and arguably a tougher conference last year, although not really arguably. It's probably better this year. But still, I'm not sure that Lue's done anything aside from what he's supposed to do at this point. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, accomplishment-wise, sure, but he's, you know, he they're playing small. Yeah. And, and that was something that people have been waiting for for a long time out of them, and, and he either got them to buy in or he just plugged the guys in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, this is, this, is the best, this is the best case of Cleveland. This is the best version of Cleveland, which is the we're going to score 120 points and you're going you're gonna to have to beat us. Um, I think that's better than the grinded out defensive team from last year with Moskov. I really do. I think it takes better advantage of their talent and their personnel. And so, well, I agree with you on the sense of he hasn't done anything that David Blatt hasn't done. I disagree that that they haven't done you know similar things or whatever. Like mm. I think I think Ty has found what this team needs to be, and we'll see. Sure, we'll see. Yeah, I well, think I agree with that. You said that this is as good as they're going to be. Does that mean they won't choke if they lose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me get back to you on that one, Mike. Um, <laughs> I mean, this means so much. To, to put this into context, this just means so much to Cleveland, the city. This is, And it always comes back to that, especially on the heels of the 30 for 30 that was very popular in the last couple of weeks, Cleveland, uh, and just the entirety of uh, of the world focusing its attention again on this this tiny little city, but it's Every interesting. Every city has that, though. Every city has that. Oh, it always. And it's just, why, why does it feel, and I'm not from, like, I'm from Philadelphia, right? And then I live in New York and live in California. But even in ev- all these little pockets, there's this sense of, uh, like, whatever tiny bit of empathy you have for losing. You're like, oh, yeah, Cleveland, I'm sorry about that. It's well, almost they are, like. They are the know. city now. They are the city now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Philly, I, I worked in Philly, and Philly was, you know. <laughs> was was until the Phillies won. They were always like, you oh, know, God. I've never won a title in my lifetime, you know. And yeah, I grew up in Boston. You had the Red Sox and all that kind of stuff. So I know exactly the feeling. Oh uh, um, yeah. But like you know, but to me, this is how I feel about this. And I don't. I, this I hope this doesn't sound callous because I don't mean it to be. But no, go for it. Whatever that city feels is how that city feels. And to the rest of us, we can't possibly know. We can't possibly understand, and like I said, I went through it in, with Boston. Like when the Red Sox won, it was like, "Wow, this is the greatest thing ever!" And people immediately turned on us. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, it didn't help. And justifiably that so. You won, like, you won like seven other championships, right? No, so I, I didn't get it. Like for like a brief moment, it was like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's <laughs> cool." And then it was like, "Screw you guys!" And so, like, the, how I feel about this is, it's that city's thing. And it's for them to internalize and for them to appreciate, for them to enjoy if it happens and for them to, to hurt if it doesn't. And like, 
I do, I can't I can't relate to a specific city's pain. I just can't. Oh man, may I, may I point ahead, out that the in the last time a Washington D.C. area team made the conference finals uh, in one of the Big Four sports, even the conference finals of their sport was 1998. 1998. That's not that long. That's no conference finals though. Like yeah, that's the a last lot, four teams. That's, that's like, a long time. I believe that's yeah. the longest drought in uh, professional sports. So is that right? It, yeah. So, you know, well, actually, that, that the my Capitals? Was it the Capitals in 98? Yeah. Yeah. Only the goalie? Only the goalie. So, I well, actually, that. my city is more pain than yours. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is I, what it comes down to. This is what Mike, it comes down to. And, Mike, I, I feel your pain. You see? You see, as oh, I, Paul, you. I, I do feel. I, see, it's funny. I I feel like I relate to Cleveland because growing up, there was never a title in Philadelphia, and you kind of just heard that so much. And then when the Phillies won, you're totally right. That release was like the craziest citywide party, you know, you name it, that's, that I've ever experienced in Phil, you know, in Philadelphia. Um, and I'm sure it was the same in all those cities. And that that shared joy, I'm sure, is a similar experience as well. So both the the good and bad of it. Or somewhat. You'll, you'll always have Chase Utley, man. <laughs> yeah. You'll always have Chase. Can, can I just say, and I'm sure Mike's going to hate hearing this, but the way that Utley now is tormenting the Mets, uh, like from his po- from the grave almost of the post era that he's now playing in uh, in L.A., is unbelievable. Like he wasn't even this hated when he played there 16 times a year for the Phillies, and yeah. now all of a sudden here he is playing for the Dodgers across the coast, and he is the most hated athlete in New York right now. It's uh, unbelievable. I don't want to say anything for fear of my wife listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves Smart to be man. hated. Yeah, right. He deserves it. He, I don't want to say anything. Sorry, you know, to, to Mike's wife. I, I apologize. He deserves it, but it is an amazing storyline. Now you're just pandering. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, I mean, obviously, that's more baseball than we've ever talked on uh, on the Limited Upside podcast here. But um, any final thoughts, guys, on this series? Anything like that we we really mentioned all the matchups. We kind of got predictions aside from Mike's, which I guess is one-third of the possible predictions here. Um, But we'll get that at some point. Um, Anything else we missed here that we should be looking out for in this series? How will we remember the Warriors Mm. if they win? I mean, I'm just Mm. – because – Okay, they won more games than the Bulls, but they had a harder playoff run. I mean, I think uh, they were on the brink of elimination. The Bulls sometimes did. You know, I know it's a little early. We're counting our chickens before they hatch. But I wonder, the other thing I've always thought about is, like, this sense of Warriors backlash now. You know, I was talking to people in the office that most of them were rooting for the Thunder to win Game 7. Hmm. And I was a little surprised. I mean, I understand maybe Draymond backlash, uh, but there is, there's now Steph Curry backlash, and I, I just think it's interesting how quickly that has come about, and I wonder why. Yeah, I've noticed that too, um, and not just Draymond, um, who has definitely taken it to another level. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know, it's I think people get get sick of the same old thing. They want to see something new, and and it's you know, it's it's there's a little bit of like, my God, really, that guy's just going to shoot thirty footers, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. That's not fair. <laughs> like this isn't fair. And I felt that way a lot actually watching the Bulls in the nineties. I'm a little older than you guys, but it was like they got Jordan. This isn't fair. Like, <laughs> yeah, but you was know, they, it was they there they Bulls backlash? Oh yeah, yeah, like, but like there this? was, yeah, but it's different time, different era. Um, you know, the Bulls got kind of that that individual sport treatment though. Like when we root, you know, whether you like them or not, people root for Tiger Woods. Everyone rooted, you know, for Roger Federer. Like that singular success of that dominant athlete was uh, more what the Bulls are rooted. Is yeah, that I mean, I think they were very popular, and Jordan, yeah. was certain, Jordan was certainly the most popular athlete of my of my lifetime. Um, Same. But at the same time, um, yeah, I rooted against him. 
I want the, I wanted the Sonics to win. I know you know a lot yeah. of people did, um, but you you weren't able to vocalize it, right? right? I mean, you you, know, you listen to talk radio and and you got mad at the talk radio, but like yeah. you weren't able to vocalize. Sure, there was a backlash. Sure, I mean I don't think it was. Don't forget too, the Warriors spent the entire season having like thousands of fans crush their crush their hotels when they were on the road. You know, yeah. this is very this is a very playoff specific thing, but it is interesting. And Mike, you were talking about how re, how will we remember the Warriors? So, you know, a little inside scoop for uh, the people listening is that you have to be prepared for every situation in the playoffs, especially over a holiday weekend. And so, I spent a good part of the week preparing a long um, Warrior post mortem for when the Thunder won the series <laughs> and how we should how we should deal with a seventy three win team not winning a championship. And, you know, there's there are a few things in there that that I think kind of are hold up or whatever. But um they reversed that. They changed that very, very, very quickly. And now they are look, they've always been historic. Even last year they were historic. If you looked at their their point differential and stuff like that. You win back to back titles, you have the back to back MVP, you win seventy three games, you put yourself into a whole other realm of discussion and i'm i'm not quite sure where that would be mainly because i want to see them do this last thing first but i think that they didn't become into a very special company if they do that well they're unique because you know every they didn't really follow the traditional like okay you struggle for a while and then you break through like for example if the thunder won the title next year it would be a very traditional i would say franchise arc right you know they had these they were this close, and then finally they broke through. The Thunder or the Warriors sort of came out of nowhere. They play very differently than uh, teams were accustomed to seeing winning. I think they don't fit that stereotype. And then, I mean, the the last thing, and I think this is worth mentioning, is they they do kind of crown, they kind of preen, and they celebrate, and they do all this, and for little mundane moments. And it's great when you win, but I can understand on some level how frustrating that sometimes when you perched up really high, the fall comes hard. I mean, we saw what happened to Cam Newton this year, and I think it's sort of a similar dynamic. They That's do, a good point. They do celebrate a lot. I'm just, I, I, what surprises me is the stylistic uh, people who kind of down – downplaying of what they do i just think they're uh, yeah that's that that's weird yeah that's weird because there's 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 a backlash if they win too much but there's also like a hipster backlash going on too right now right <laughs> which which i also think is very strange because uh to me i i rather would watch great players play on a great team than great individuals carry a so-so team and i'm not that sounds like i'm just in the thunder i'm not necessarily but like i would rather watch the way Golden State plays than the way OKC plays late in the fourth quarter. And I know some people would rather the other way, but that's that's fine. People like what they like. But I have noticed that there is um, – last year it felt like people who really love basketball were like, this is the team that is going to carry the banner for the NBA and we're going to tell everybody how awesome this is. And they can experience it themselves and everyone did. And now it's like, wait a minute, you know, I want this yeah. other thing. They also have an obnoxious owner who thinks he's smarter than everybody and has been public about that lately. He's not that obnoxious. <laughs> he made a bad comment. That yeah, was I know. Well, that is, I've seen more obnoxious, obnoxious comments. comments. For Wait. sure. For, for sure. Um, I think the other thing at play, and just 
icing on the cake is that like people like Oklahoma City. Like they like the small market that they don't have any rivalries with in any other sports. They love the two main players. I mean, Westbrook and Durant are, are guys that are very easy to root for because you see how hard Westbrook plays. You see how much you know the game means to, to Durant, kind of his demeanor is very easy to root for. So I think that was kind of at play in the contrast sure. with why people were rooting against Golden State here. Um, it may have been because it was for Oklahoma City. But I'll say that in this finals matchup, it's going to be as polarizing as it gets because those same people who don't like Golden State, no way they like LeBron. <laughs> they've, they've been hating on him since, you know, uh, 2011 or something like that. You know, it's, it's one of those things where they have to make a decision, the hipster basketball community of who do I hate the least and then go from there. Uh, so it should be interesting. I, I personally i am fine with either outcome that happens here. I'm just rooting for as many good basketball games as possible because that last series was so unbelievable between Oklahoma City and the Warriors that I just want the finals to come close to it. I'm rooting to be home on Father's Day. Oh, there you go. All right. Which means it's got to end before seven. <laughs> <laughs> six, six really, really tight games. How's that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. That sounds about right, indeed. But uh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad we hashed all this out. I feel much better about the last series now, guys. Thank you for talking through my Oklahoma City fandom, uh, which I'm going to lay to rest for another season. Um, but, uh, Paul, it's always great to have you. Paul Flannery on the podcast here. Thanks for coming on, bud. NBA. Thanks for NBA genius Paul Flannery. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is that how we did before? Wizard or G- NBA genius Paul Flannery at P Flans with two N's on, on Twitter. Uh, keep checking out his stuff on SB Nation. Mike Prada here, as always, at Mike Prada SBN on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Epi Ben, Ben Epstein here. Uh, coming at you guys, continuing through the rest of the playoffs and hopefully into the summer, as yeah, always. Look for us uh, at a show after every game. That's our yes. hope. Yes. That's our goal. We uh, we fell off the wagon a little bit last week. We had both of us had different conflicts, but our hope is uh, after every game we'll have something for you uh, yep. to chew on in the interim between these longer than usual gaps between games. Yes, yes, yes they are. <laughs> but, uh, keep uh, find us on uh, iTunes at Limited Upside, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher at Limited Upside, Limited Upside Podcast, I should say. Um, continue to uh, rate review; that always helps us get up in the uh, in the rankings and whatnot. Uh, and uh, find us at Limited Underscore Upside on Twitter. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside.